Thank you so much for checking out the Risen Church podcast. If you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you may know that whenever you're hearing me talk up front like this, it is because something went wrong with the Sunday recording. Um, and that is the case once again today. I'm so sorry about that. I think mostly it's pretty clear and easy to understand, but I did want to personally apologize for a drop in quality on the audio there. Um, sorry for any inconvenience. Thank you so much for listening, though, and uh, we would love it if you would subscribe. Anybody nervous about this? Yeah. No? You are? Good, good. Somebody should be. Um, I honestly, there's a part of me that kind of feels like the people who are, the, who are nervous about this are probably the ones who are going to like it the most, and the people who are really excited about this are probably the ones who are going to walk out either disappointed or hurt or upset or whatever um, by it all. But I, I think today we'll be pretty tame getting into this conversation. Um, we're we're going to talk. We're going to talk a little politics. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. You heard of it? Y'all heard of it? Heard of some politics? Um, there's some sermon notes if you want to grab one in the back of the room. Also, we'll have the shirts out after service, obviously, as well. Just take one. They're free. Well, they're not free. Somebody bought them for you. Uh, somebody, the, the Risen Church, has bought those shirts for everyone. I would say to this, hey, if you don't give to Risen Church and you're like, I don't feel so good about somebody uh, giving me a shirt. And like, well, you can give to Risen Church, right? You can just, uh, you can partner with us at any point. There's no guilt or pressure to do that, but we are able to make pretty cool things happen uh, whenever we pool our resources and uh, we're able to help people who need help. And we're also able to wear t-shirts that remind us to help people who need help. So how many of you have been in an uncomfortable um, conversation about something to do with politics or an election or whatever in the last, I don't know, hour and a half? Yeah. <laughs> let's, say, let's say in the last year you've been in some kind of uncomfortable uh, interaction like this. And if you haven't, let, let's, go, let's go a step further. How many of you have witnessed a, an uncomfortable interaction between two people, either in person or online, in the last year? Show of hands. Let's just see. All right, you have either been in one of those or you have seen one happen. Now, let me ask you the most important question about that. I want you to think of the last time that you saw or the most, the one that stands out the most. I want you to think, and I want to ask you a question. It's the most important question about any serious conversation about anything, especially politics. This is what matters. When we're having a conversation with each other, a debate, an argument, whatever, here's what matters. And I want you to think about the one that you're thinking about and try to remember. This is what it's all about. Who won? You remember? Who won? I was really hoping somebody would shout, me, right? Who won? That's what it's all about, right? That's what these conversations are about. That every strategy that we use in these conversations, everything that we see implemented, makes it very clear the point is to see who can win. The point is to figure out who's right so we can walk out of this and one person will walk away feeling stronger because they were right and the other person will walk away feeling humble because they were wrong. Somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> That's the point. Who won? That's what these heated conversations, these arguments, passive aggression, that's what it's all about, isn't it? I mean, it's about whose team is the right team. That's why we have these things. And when the goal is to win, and let's be honest, it's the goal in these conversations, I think a couple of things happen. 
whenever we enter into a conversation with that strategy and that sort of end game and the, the idea for us, whether it's, whether it's right in the front of our minds or somewhere in the back of our minds, is I got to convince them that I'm right and they're wrong. I got to convince them that my party's right and their party's wrong. I got to convince, when we go into it that way and, and we really, most of us just haven't ever had another strategy. We're like, what else would we do, Drew? Like, what, I mean, what is, the, what is the point of talking about this if it's not that? If it's not to have some kind of dialogue that results in the right person moving forward, what else can we do about it? I would just say, we need to know a couple of things. And these are your sermon notes. And the sermon notes are going to kind of come a little closer to the beginning of this message today. And then we'll get into something else towards the end of it. When people try to win in political conversations, when we try to win in political conversations, um, a couple of things happen. First thing, most of the time, and this is the first thing on your sermon notes and the first thing on the screen, most of the time when we try to win in these political conversations, this first set of blanks is both parties think they won. What happens when we try to win in political conversations? Well, most of the time, both parties think they won, especially if you've got strong-willed people. If you've got two people arguing about something, you pretty much usually walk away, and you're like, who was right? Well, I was. He asked the other person who was right. I'm like, well, I was. Nothing really changes. Your positions and your arguments, they make sense to you. That's why they're your positions. That's why they're your arguments. You, you, you may damage relationships with people that you care about. You may make people feel stupid and small. And, and you might even, and I'm just going to jump into the deep end of the pool for just a second, because we're not going to be in the deep end a whole lot today. Over the course of the next couple of weeks, we may go a little deeper, but let me go just a little bit deep today. One of the things that we also do, other than just making people feel stupid and small, maybe, maybe hurting some people's feelings, maybe... Um, uh, Damaging a relationship. Another thing that we kind of do is sometimes we, we attach the banner of, of our political positions to the banner of the kingdom of God. As Christians, we, we just have a tendency to kind of say, like, here's what God would want for the nation. Here, here's what God, here's how God would vote. Here's who God would vote for. We, we end up sort of doing that, and both parties sort of think they're right, and both parties sort of think they own it. Uh, and the thing that happens whenever we do that, uh, and again, this is deep into the pool, and we won't stay on the deep end today, I promise, but one of the things that happens whenever we do that is we end up with a whole lot of people, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, text it in to tell me if you think that's not exactly true, to Drew, but we have a whole lot of people who decide they don't want to be a follower of Jesus, because they don't want to join a particular political party. It's just reality. I, I meet people all the time when I'm out playing music and, and in the world that I'm in all, all around, we, and, and so are you, there are people who don't like Christians because they don't like one political position or another. They don't like the party that they associate with that in their head based on some sort of experience. And, and then that seems like there's usually one party that's a little stronger than the other. We won't use party names. But then there also is, it happens on the other side too, usually somewhere other than here. Um, but, but this is an issue for us, and we need to sort of recognize, hey, whenever we have these political conversations, and we try to win in them, most of the time both parties walk away thinking they won. The second thing, kind of related to the first thing, nobody changes their mind, Right? That's the nature of debates. That's the nature of political, politically charged arguments. I don't believe I've ever witnessed someone changing their opinion on anything political right before my eyes. Have you ever seen that happen? 
People prefer to make those kinds of changes in the privacy of their own home and then come out and pretend that's what they've always believed, <laughs> right? That's how I've made all of my political change, all the things that I believe today that I didn't believe when I was 20. I didn't do it in front of somebody else, right? I came out and I was like, no, I never believed that. What kind of idiot would have, I would, that's, we prefer it that way. And so this is something that happened. When we try to win in these political conversations, nobody ever changes their mind. The nature of debates and arguments like these is such that they really only ever drive our original opinion home. They really only ever make us feel more confident about the things that we already believed. It's kind of like Googling your beliefs. Google is just going to tell you, yep, you're right. That's what it's designed to do, right? Like, I think I have, I, I, I found a pimple on my forehead today, and it seems like maybe it's adult acne, but it also seems like it's probably brain cancer poking through my skull. And you say, Google, is this brain cancer poking through my school and skull? And Google says, probably, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what it does. And this is what happens in these arguments. Nobody changes their mind. You enter into a conversation with your mind already made up, and you leave the conversation with your mind made up even further. Like, those people over there arguing, that they're exactly the problem. That's exactly why I believe what I believe, because of people like that, right? It doesn't, it doesn't actually make a difference. Uh, the third thing that happens, and we'll get into a, a couple more details on this one. I think this one is, uh, I have something pretty fun that I, I found a little chart this week on this one that I'll show you in just a second that I found interesting and fun that maybe you won't. Maybe you saw it circulating in social media a little bit too. But we see the other side as crazy, when we, when we try to win in political conversations, we see the other side as being crazy. Listen, we demonize and, and caricaturize. We're like, Republicans are just all like that. Well, no, no, Republicans are human beings. The Democrats are all just like that. No, they're, they're all human. Like, libertarians are just like, well, yeah, they are probably pretty much exactly the box. <laughs> but the others, like, there's, there's a whole lot... <laughs> There's only like 20 of them, and they're pretty much the same. Uh, <laughs> we turn them into a cartoon. When, when we have arguments like this, whenever we enter into these conversations, and all I'm really here to do is win the argument, what we end up doing is we end up thinking of the other people as crazy. And there's a problem with that because there are people in this room right now, in your church family, there are people that you're close friends with that you probably share coffee with every week, maybe share a meal with from time to time outside of this room, who are those crazy people that you're thinking about. You know, it's a problem. It's an issue whenever we think, and, and we, we even take it a step further sometimes as Christians. We're like, I just don't even see how a Christian could exist on the other side. I don't, I don't even see how you could be a follower of Jesus and vote for that candidate, vote for that policy. And it's just not helpful. This is just one of the things that ends up beginning to happen. I wanted to show you a little something uh, about how the differences between our parties, and we, it's kind of, this is all kind of emphasized by the idea that we pretty much decide where we stand, and we stay there, and we like to pretty much stay there as long as we can. But the differences between candidates and parties is often really, really small. I want you to look at this chart, which actually shows, did anybody see a chart like this uh, on the internet this week? There's a little uh, test survey that you can take. Um, I don't know which side made it. Some side made it. There's always a problem with these things. Um, but, the, but the chart essentially shows, like down here, sort of libertarian. This is sort of, you know, no, no government is necessary whatsoever. No governmental control over things is really necessary at all. Authoritarian, which would essentially say uh, 
the government should control pretty much everything. Like, like the political leadership should make all of the decisions, and then we have the sort of left and right, which we kind of understand uh, economically. They're mostly talking about like what should happen with tax dollars, and should we pay more tax dollars to help out more people? And th th this was the interesting thing to me about this particular chart. Do you see it already? Is it, is it jumping out at you whatsoever? All right, I know you're all looking for your candidate up there. You're trying to figure out where you land. Science Mike's down here, by the way. Science Mike's the one who posted this. Apparently, he's just a nutcase. Um, unless that's where you end up on the spectrum. That's fine. You can find a home here. Um, but, but the thing that I found so interesting is that pretty much everybody's up here. Like we, I know there's there's look there's policy differences. I know they seem really different on the state. I know the things they argue about make them seem really really clear. But the crazy thing about it, uh, in particular, uh, oh man, I, I don't think it's actually on this chart. There's several other charts because this is a current one. Um, anyways, we had Donald Trump up here and directly below, like in I mean centimeters away, was Hillary Clinton was exactly the same kind of candidate from the from the largest, like, how should the government be involved? Now, policy differences are a little different, and I know that's what we're mostly concerned with, but I also want us to see how incredibly just alike the things really are. That these people over here who are just, they're like, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, uh, Trumper right here, and these crazy people over on the left from Biden was like, well, they're kind of like right there. Like, they're just not that far from now. Policy difference, I know, I know. There's some things that do make some big differences, but then there's also so much about this that it's just like, we demonize it, we make it crazy, we caricaturize it, and we end up with this like, how could you possibly think that it's right for him to lead and not her, for her to lead and not him, or for him to lead and not him? Well, they're, they're not that different. They're, we're really kind of voting within this system and structure of things where so much of what we're raised in and so much of what, we're, what we already believe kind of plays a huge role in how we hear a debate. It really depends on which news station you watch the debate on, right, and whose commentary you listen to after it. And then, But if you boil it right down, you're kind of like, well, they're kind of not really all that different. All right, we can go to the next slide. Um, and I wanted to share something else. Uh, just to kind of keep, um, and you can fill in your last blank, but I am, that, that's jumping ahead of me slightly. I wanted to use a, a quick little example of something um, to try to explain this a little further, even from a policy standpoint, because that was all political. That was all sort of authoritarian, libertarian, and left and right economically. Um, this is not the nature of this whole message, too, by the way. I'm not just going to talk about politics and talk about Jesus here in just a moment, because there's something really beautiful uh, that, that I think can begin this conversation for us. Um, but one of the things, back here on this, we think of the other side as crazy. I want us to talk about just one policy that, um, that hope, I was trying to just find the most vanilla possible uh, policy, and I mentioned it to Megan, and she's like, yeah, I think that's something that, you know, you're going to hear about in the debates. You're going to hear people talk about this. Um, and I just wanted to highlight something about it that I, I came across in a blog post where I was like, I had never really, that had never um, occurred to me. Uh, free college. So the idea of free college, I know there's a couple of people on the left, a couple of Democratic candidates who are, you know, it's, this is a part of their platform. It's nobody's main platform. It's not just not a huge deal. But it is a particular thing where as soon as I say something like free college, hopefully, 
um, just for the sake of my own sermon, not for any reason other than that. Hopefully, you kind of immediately have an opinion, right? When I say something like, let's talk about free college, you either think, yeah, why isn't it? It's stupid that it's not. Or you think, yeah, I had to pay for it. Everybody else should have to pay for it. Or it's gonna, it'll wreck the whole system. You're either on one side. Can you just nod? You don't have to tell me which side. But you can just say, like, when I say free college, you're like, yeah, I've heard that one talked about. I know where I stand on that one. I know what's right on that one. Here's the thing that this, this particular blog post that I read talked about. Because um, on the, the left in particular, the case is made for free college. And we're like, hey, every developed nation, every, um, every person. Am I standing on your left right now? I am, right? It's real hard for me to think because it's my right. But I'm trying to. If, every, every nation has free college. Why, why is the United States any different? But the United States does actually offer 13 years of free school, right? So we're really advocating for 17 years instead of 13 years, right? And then the people on the right are like, that is a socialist, ridiculous policy. I cannot believe that anybody would suggest that we would have free college in this country. And I'm like, yeah, well, okay, just hold on just a second first. You know kids have to go to school for free for 13 years, right? You know the policy is not like, let's make school free for everybody, because right now it's not. It's like, no, let's stretch it out a little bit further. And we end up with something, and this is the, the point of this. I'm not going to be able to do it as well as this long blog post. But the point of the issue was kind of like, you know, I had never noticed how those are pretty, like, they're really not that different, all right? You can almost see people on the left screaming like, I think kids should be able to go to school. And they're like, I think they should be able to go to school for free, too. I think they should go for 17 years. Well, I think it should be 13, and then after that, maybe we'll have some scholarships and stuff in place. And like, I don't know why we're shouting, because these differences really aren't that different. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Are you see Hopefully, we're just kind of, and I know, that's a bland one. Like, Drew, I don't want to talk about that one. I want to talk about the big one. Well, <laughs> good luck. That's not going to happen in this particular room, in this particular space. But that is often the case that we end up with a really strong opinion about something without recognizing that those crazy people on the other side's opinion isn't as, isn't as cartoonish as we like to make it. It's not, as, it's not as demonic as we like to make it. And I think it's important when we're in a community like this that we remember that because there are people in this room who follow Jesus, who really love Jesus, who really love you, who really love their city, who are going to vote every single thing differently than you are because they think that's what's best for the most people. That's possible. If nothing else happens in this message series, I hope that the Church of the Risen Jesus can at least walk out of here saying... I now see that it is possible for someone to vote differently than me on every single thing and still be a Christian. I totally believe that is possible for us. So the final thing that happens, when we try to win a political conversation, you probably already wrote this down, division wins. We just end up divided. Nothing that we intend or hope for in these conversations ever actually happens. The only thing that happens is that we end up more divided than ever before. So let's look at, uh, I'm going to look at one verse of scripture and we'll get further into this particular passage. We are going to look at Peter's writings a lot um, through this. We'll look at First and Second Peter. Um, First and Second Peter are, are really pretty interesting um, entries into the New Testament. The Apostle Paul writes the lion's share of the New Testament um, along with Luke, 
Luke has these two really big books. The book of Luke and the book of Acts are really just one long thing. Um, But outside of Luke, Paul writes all of it. But there's an interesting thing about Paul is that he addresses lots of different communities of people, lots of different churches of people with separate letters. The, the book of Galatians, or the, the, the letter to the Galatian church, was a letter that, the Paul, that Paul wrote as part of a correspondence with the church in Galatia, right? And then the, the um, Philippian church, he writes a specific letter to a church in a place called Philippi. He's like, hey, dear Philippians, let me talk to you about your particular things that you had questions about. The book of Romans is Paul writing a letter to a church in Rome, uh, Roman people responding to questions they had, specific things. Corinthians, same thing. Peter, on the other hand, I'm not going to call him lazy, but Peter writes two letters. And the first letter is actually addressed, and you can look at this in your own Bible. First Peter, uh, around verse chapter 1, verse 1, 2, 3, something like that. He says, this letter is for everybody in Asia and everybody in Galatia and everybody in the Middle East and all those churches that James started over there. And Peter's like, just pass it around. Here's the letter. Pass it around. I don't have anything different to say to all of you. Here's the one thing I have to say. And then in 2 Peter, it gets even broader. He's like, apparently these people further out than Asia wanted to read my letter, but I didn't address them. So the second time he writes the letter, he literally addresses it to everybody who believes what we believe. <laughs> it's, it essentially says, to everyone within the faith, uh, here's, here's what I have to say to you. And so I think that's an interesting person to be looking at and an interesting letter to be looking at because Peter is writing to a really broad scale audience. He's basically saying, I know that the people in Asia and the people in Galatia see things different. I know the people in Philippi, and the, I know that you all have different circumstances that you're facing. I know that you're under different governmental leadership. I know that What I have to say to you applies to all of you. And that's actually something that we're going to begin seeing him say. First Peter chapter three, verse eight. Finally, all of you who that now, Peter, all of you. Right. New phone. Who is all of you? He opens up with that, whether you're on the right, whether you're in the left, whether you're in the middle, whether you just don't care. You haven't taken the quiz online to tell you which one you are. Peter's instruction is for all of us. Remember, he addresses this letter to several different people groups in several different nations with several different sets of issues and problems and values. And what does he suggest all of you should do? This is for all of you, right? All of you be like-minded. All of you should be like-minded. Now, Drew, you just broke rule number one. You said... That we can be family even when we disagree. You said this was going to be a message series about how we don't agree on everything. We don't believe all the same stuff, but we still belong together. And then the first point that you're going to give us from the Bible is that we should be like-minded. But that's, that's what he says. I think, I think he has something pretty profound to teach us here. Being like-minded does not mean... Agreeing, And even some translations of the Bible will even use the word agree there, but I would consider that to be a bad translation. It's not, uh, if it doesn't really get back to the heart of what this word actually meant when Peter wrote it originally in, in Greek to these, um, to these churches and to these people who had all of these questions. It doesn't mean that we are going to begin to see anything the same way. It doesn't mean that we're going to adopt each other's agenda. 
The Greek word that Peter actually uses here is the word homophron. Easy Republicans. Homophron. And probably the most literal... Megan told me not to make that joke. Uh, <laughs> probably the most literal translation of the word homophron is the word harmonious, which it kind of sounds like, right? The most literal translation of this word that gets translated into be like-minded is be harmonious. Harmonious. Talk about hippy-dippy, right? Peter is saying to us, let's pause for just a moment. Be in harmony. Not be, not be in total agreement. Be in harmony. Do you know what harmony is in music? Harmony in music is when there is a, a melody to a song, you know, it's kind of moving up and down and it does these various things. Harmony is what happens when someone else is singing on the song and sings a different melody or sings a melody a different way in a way that actually complements the other melody. If you were to take the harmony out of any particular song and just play it on its own, it would actually kind of sound like a different song. It would sound, if, if I just sang some of the harmony lines that, uh, usually it's me or Abby that are singing harmony lines up here, and Thomas and Kat usually sing the, the melody lines, it's just where we usually fall in it. If we were to take what we're singing out, most of the time it would sound like that's not the right song, guys. <laughs> that's not, you know, if you took it out of context, but in context, harmony, being harmonious actually can emphasize the melody. It can actually make the melody sound stronger. It's actually us singing differently, but still singing the same song. I wrote it this way, and this is, uh, harmony is what happens when more than one note is being played at the same time, and those notes work together to make one song. It means you're not singing the same melody, but you are singing the same song. And we're giving it texture. And we're giving it layers, and we're giving it complexity. Can you see how this could relate to our political conversation? Can you see how this could relate to, I mean, if, if and this, I'm, I'm, I, hopefully I'm the right guy to be saying this, because I have not really participated a whole lot in the political process. I'm very sorry for that. I knew, like, Drew, it's your responsibility as an American to participate. I was like, well, no, it's my right as an American to not also. That's what freedom really is. But I'm participating now, right? I'm back. I'm on board now. But hopefully I can say to us now, <laughs> we, we We have a tendency, we have a tendency to think that the best possible thing that could happen is if everybody came to our side. If our side just had 100% of the popular vote on every particular issue. We have a tendency to think that is what would be best. What we fail to recognize is that when you do that, you take harmony out of the equation. You end up with, A, let the hippy-dippy guy talk first, a less pretty song. You know? You, you take the melting pot out. Now we're just eating steak, right? There's no seasoning on it. There's no salt on it. There's no side dishes. There's nothing else making this work for us, right? We tend to think the best thing that could possibly happen is everybody sing our melody. 
I got to tell you, though, that is a dangerous, dangerous step to be taking. It's a dangerous idea to think that the best possible thing that could happen in this nation or the best possible thing is that the conversation would cease, that there would no longer be disagreement. There would no longer be talk across aisles. Now, I'm not for the way that things are right now, where it's like we just yell back and forth across aisles and nobody ever changes anything and nothing ever gets done. I understand why that's an issue, too. But Peter actually says that something is possible, probably not for the nation of the United States, let's be honest. I mean, it's, it's not, we're not all going to agree on things, but something is possible for the church of the risen Jesus. Something is possible within the community of people who follow Jesus. And that thing is not that we would all come into agreement under the same ideals and the same ideas, but that we would come into agreement that, hey, here's the song, though. Here's the song. I'm going to take the melody and you take the harmony. And maybe we'll even add a third harmony, right? We'll even let them, we'll even let the libertarians in on that, I guess. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, yeah, I'll take it at an octave, actually. I'll, I'll sing it even harder. I'll sing it even louder. And then you sing kind of down there and give it some foundation, give it some strength. And this is too musical for us. He used the word harmony. And I just think it's, I just think it's a really great example. But this is the thing that I think is possible for us. And I know, I know, and I feel the need to say, like, I know I'm not, I'm not running for political office here. I'm not suggesting that this is what's going to happen in the nation. I'm not suggesting that this, is, that this is even how a nation should be run. I'm just suggesting that as the people of the risen Jesus, as the followers of the risen Jesus, as risen church and, and our neighboring churches, our brothers and sisters, we have an opportunity to find some harmony. We have an opportunity to start looking across the aisle and say, Oh, no, there's good people over there. Oh, no, that ruins everything. They're not crazy. They're not all crazy. Oh, no, there are people who think that that policy that I hate would actually be better for most people. That that policy would actually do more good for more people. And maybe they know people I don't. Maybe they're in a circle that I'm not in. Maybe they see some things that I can't possibly see. The second thing that Peter talks about, and this is something we're going to probably talk a whole lot about in this message series, is he says, be sympathetic. And I'm coming to a close. If you have questions, please text them in. Uh, we're, we're only doing, again, you know, last month and this month, probably for obvious reasons. We're only texting in questions. We're not going to do questions in the room. I don't want uh, to put anybody in a position where they're like, because I know, I know a lot of you are kind of like, Drew, I, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. Right? I know that there are some people in the room who are kind of like, yeah, we know there's people on the other side. Obviously, they're not here, though. So I just want to spare you that. They are, all right? They're here. I promise no matter which side you're on, somebody's on the other side. There's people in this room that I'm always nervous whenever I see you talking to each other because I know both sides. <laughs> and I'm always like, oh, boy, let's talk about lunch. Talk about the weather. Keep it light, people. Keep it light. <laughs> Be sympathetic. We, we could probably spend every week of this series on the ideas of sympathy and empathy. I mean, this is what we lack, and this is what the people of, of, of Jesus really should have. In, this should never be in short supply for us. Compassion, sympathy. Sympathy is to actually see another person's hurt or difficulty and to feel their hurt with them. Not to look at them and say, I know you think you're hurt, but this system has been way too good to you for you to be hurt. Not to look at them and say, I know that you're hurting, but it's your fault. 
Pick yourself up. Jesus makes no such distinction. Peter makes no such distinction. When it comes to sympathy, if somebody's hurting, we hurt with them. If somebody feels marginalized, we step in with them. That's what the church of the risen Jesus does. That's what Jesus always does. We do not ever. And, and you know, you get to decide where, where you're going to follow Jesus and where you're not every time. I'm not, when I say we, you're like, well, I'm not doing that. That's fine. You can still be a part of things here. But I'm just saying, we don't get to say, here's what Jesus would want. Because Jesus would always, always be on the side of sympathy. Always be on the side of empathy. Always looking at someone's hurt and saying, I don't care if it's your fault. I don't care if it's a system's fault. I don't care if it's a structure's fault. I don't care if it's your mom and your dad's fault. I don't care if it's your own spending fault. I don't care if it's the fault that you haven't even tried to get a job. I don't care whose fault it is. If you're hurting, so am I. If you're hurting, I'm going to hurt with you. In this political season, could we maybe just seek out the opportunities to be sympathetic? Could we maybe, instead of being triggered, hashtag triggered by everything that somebody posted, they're like, they're on the other side of this. Ooh, I got to jump in on that conversation and let them know why they're wrong. Instead of that, to maybe just be sympathetic. And I'm not saying that you'll ever come around to saying like, well, I see now why they're right. But maybe to see why the things that they believe that are different than the things that you believe are, are perhaps the result of some hurt, some challenge that you've never faced, some difficulty that you know nothing about, some pro- right? And we, I know, I, we all kind of think like, well, I don't know, Drew, everybody I know believes the same way I do. Everybody I know is like, well, that's the problem. That's why you haven't changed in 20 years. Right? Because everybody doesn't believe the same way you do. About 50% of them voted the other way. Whichever side you're on. It's like everybody I know agrees with me on this. All right, well, that's why you haven't changed. That's why you haven't grown in 15 years. You need to know somebody who disagrees. You need to be friends with somebody who doesn't believe the same stuff as you. If every, I believe you, some of you, whenever you say, and nobody said that to me particularly. I'm talking about people who aren't here so they can hear it on the podcast. Obviously, everybody in the room is not guilty of this at all. But like I, when we say, like, I can't see, I don't, I don't know anybody who believes differently on that. I don't believe anybody who thinks that that policy should go through. Like, yeah, well, you just let us in on the secret of why you haven't grown, why we haven't been able to move forward, why we, we haven't, because there's no sympathy, there's no empathy, there's no recognition that like, hey, that thing that you say, I don't know anybody who thinks that's right. Well, guess what? About 50%. That's, I don't know, how many Americans are there at the moment? Anybody know? 80, 70 million? Is that, am I in the right ballpark? 300 million. 300 million, 400 million, something like that. Okay, well, about 200 million people in the United States probably think differently than you on that. So whenever we say, like, I don't know anybody, it's like, well, there's probably about 200 million of them. That's a dangerous way to live our lives in these bubbles of, like, I don't know anybody that disagrees with me on that. I don't know anybody that thinks that should happen. Yeah, well, you might be letting us in on the secret of what, what might be necessary for sympathy and empathy to begin to be at work in you is you might need to find somebody that you disagree with and not try to change them and not try to convince them why they're wrong and start listening a little bit. I might need to do that. I don't want to sound like I'm not on the platform, all right? I'm not looking down at everybody. You are sitting and I'm standing. But that I, I need to do that too. We need to be those people, right? We need to 
recognize this is what Jesus calls us to do. This is who he calls us to be. This is how change happens. This is how peace happens. And we're to be peacemakers, right? Oh, I know how to make peace. We'll get my candidate elected. We'll have peace. No, peace meant like <laughs> conversationally, right? We, we vote for who you want to vote for. That's totally fine with me. I'm fine with that. But let's not lose our soul in the process. Let's not lose our family in the process. And let's not lose the teachings of Jesus in the process. Finishing out this verse, if we haven't gotten hippy-dippy enough. <laughs> he says, be sympathetic. Then he says, love one another. Be compassionate and humble. This is how it works. This is how change happens. And this, is, and this is what we're called to. And I, anytime we go for more than a couple of weeks without me reminding us of this, I feel like it's been too long. I know some of us look at this and we're having a conversation about politics and power and, and, and authority and who's going to be in control and everything. You're like, well, if anybody led like that, it's not like they, they couldn't run the country like that. And I would just remind us, Simon Peter, shortly after writing these words died for these words. He didn't get the power. He didn't get the crown. He represented a, a, the Lord and Savior. He represented the man that he believed and that I believed to be the Son of God, the Savior of the universe, who, who lived like this, who led like this, and was murdered. He wasn't given a crown to rule people. He was given a crown of thorns and nailed to a cross and murdered at the age of 33. And he, on the cross, did not shout down, I'm right, y'all, see, y'all are going to see, I'm right. From the cross, he said, God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. On the cross, sympathy, empathy, love, compassion. From the cross, Jesus himself was like, this isn't the time for me to be telling y'all about how you're going. Ain't going to make a difference. We talk, about, we talk about stuff like that. It doesn't, it doesn't make a difference. It's not changing anybody. Jesus' own example. Do you understand why I'm saying this part? Do you understand why I'm saying that? Because I, I get it. You're like, well, Drew, that, you can't run a nation like that. I'm like, I know. That people are just going to just gonna push around. This thing's going thing's to go to hell. Like, what are we going to do? It's like, well, I, Jesus leads like this. And he says, you want to really make a difference? You lay your life down. You say, I'm, I'm less interested in winning this argument than I am in loving you. I'm less interested in being right than I am in actually helping something here. I'll pause for just a moment. Um, and, uh, yeah, I have a question that was texted in. We'll see if there's any... If we have any others, and then I have one sort of closing thought for us. Uh, this question... Uh, great, I'm, I'm really glad you Thank you so much for sending this uh, Friend, love, love this verse But the be like-minded part is throwing me off And I can see how, uh, you know, maybe we lack a little bit of clarity about that The word, the phrase like-minded And we definitely could have chosen a different translation of the Bible here But the Bible was originally written in Greek um, and, uh, and the Greek word that gets translated into like-minded is that word that, that we say literally what he means when we translate. And like-minded isn't a bad translation as long as we can see the word like 
and remember that that is a figure of speech always, right? If I say I am like my wife, that does not mean I am my wife. That means that we share some of the same values, that we are trying to accomplish some of the same things, right? Like, as, these are similes, and they mean, you know, similar. What he is talking about whenever he says like-minded is this idea of harmony. Peter is saying, not that we would agree on things, because that's not going to happen. He's saying, let's sing the same song. And you sing your part, and I'll sing mine, and they are different parts. But let's make sure that the song that we're singing... And again, at the end of the day, and we have so such a hard time with this in, in the West, we have such a hard time with understanding that Peter's agenda here is not to win some sort of argument for a political party. He is fighting for a kingdom that is not of this world. He is fighting for the kingdom of God. He's saying this is how the kingdom of God works. Now, who you vote for, that's actually kind of a separate thing. That is not the kingdom of God. It never will align with the kingdom of God. He's saying the kingdom of God is love. Like if we're going to be like-minded, we're going to agree the ethic is Jesus. We're going to agree the main goal here is that we would love people. Like what do we vote for? I don't know. You've got to decide that, right? You've got to weigh out the issues. See if you can figure out who's lying. <laughs> They're all lying. If, see if you can figure out what. I don't know who you're going to vote for. But Peter is saying let's just make sure that the song that we're singing is always love. Always looks like compassion. Always looks like, you know, because Jesus says things that sound very, very far right. He says things that sound very, very far left. He says, he says things that sound like they're straight down the middle. He says things that we all in this room, if we were really honest about, completely disagree with. His ethic is love, though. He is teaching how to love. And that's hopefully that clarifies a little bit of like, what do we do with this like-minded thing? Well, you've got to remember that the agenda for these people, for Peter, is love. Let's, let's remember the main goal here is that we would look like love to the world that needs to experience that. Uh, I'm going to offer you one closing statement. I think it is on the slides. Uh, I don't think it's in your sermon notes. But just as a, as a reminder, and this is probably a statement that we'll use a couple of times over the course of the next couple of weeks. Jesus didn't commission us. To move any political agenda forward, but he did commission us to love people no matter what. That's my bad. It's probably not on the slide. It's okay. Jesus didn't commission us to take a political agenda forward. Please, please, can we all just remind ourselves of that? Like, here's what Jesus wants me to do. Okay, let's, let's pause on that for a second. Here's what Jesus wants for the nation. Here's who Jesus wants to be president. Here's what, can we just not on that? Jesus did not commission us to move any political agenda forward. And I know what your Facebook messenger says. You got to forward this to 1,000 people because it's what Jesus wants. Jesus wants people to vote for this and we need to tell them somehow. Um, or you're going to be cursed. That's not, that wasn't from him. Jesus doesn't have a Facebook account, I promise. He did not commission us to move any agenda forward, political agenda forward. He commissioned us to love people no matter what. One more time, one more time. I'm gonna, I'll put this out on social media. You can check in there. We'll have that statement for us. It's probably going to be the ending thoughts every week. Jesus didn't commission us to move a political agenda forward. He commissioned us to love all people no matter what. Anytime you have to decide between one or the other, anytime you, are, you come down to like, I think that, 
policy should go forward, but it's not a very loving policy. I think that candidate should be the candidate, but they do not look like love. And so I'm very, that we would say, well, Jesus didn't commission us to move any political, he didn't commission us to put any particular person in the White House. He commissioned us to love all people no matter what. That is who Jesus is, and that's what he teaches. All right? Um, in the coming weeks, we're going to have some increasingly interesting conversations about this. Uh, hopefully today was uh, gave us something to work with and laid a little bit of a foundation. If you're not going to be able to be here for any part of this, we will make sure the podcast is available uh, and the, the vlog that goes onto YouTube. You can keep up with the conversation. Um, but one thing in particular, I'm, I'm so excited to get into this. I'm going to go ahead and plant a seed for it before I pray for us and we'll, we'll be dismissed um, and we'll all head to lunch. Together, Let's all go together today. Um, one thing that I'm really, really interested in talking about, and maybe this could be a good conversation for you at lunch, that we would be a people who recognize that in any political conversation, any political argument, any election, we are always, always advocating for, voting for, pushing the lesser of two evils. That is not a thing that happened in one election a couple of years ago and never happened since or that never happened before. We are always, always trying to figure out which of these two things. We're never voting for Jesus. We're never voting for... We're always choosing the lesser of two evils. And that, I believe, is okay. Because that's, that's the world that we're in right now. I think it's okay to have to choose the lesser of two evils. What I think we need to be incredibly, incredibly diligent about doing in this season is never ceasing to call evil, evil. Make sense? We are going to be supporting the lesser of two evils, so whenever you support a candidate, and that's fine, support a candidate. When you vote for a candidate, vote for the candidate, fine. And they do something evil or wrong, you don't defend it, people. You say, yes, I voted for them. Yes, I thought they would do the most good for the most amount of people, and I, I wish they had never said that. I didn't vote for that. We have that permission and we have that responsibility to distance ourselves, to always say, I'm supporting the lesser of evils in this system. That's all this system is. And the lesser of evils is, is good, right? <laughs> it's not, I'm not saying that, that less evil is good. I'm just saying supporting the lesser of evils, like if I got to choose between, you know, getting one cavity filled, uh, like I thought I was going to get this week, or getting six cavities filled, like I'm going to choose one, but the dentist didn't give me that uh, choice, so I got all six of them, and I still can't feel part of my face. I think that's okay, though, right? Y'all look concerned. That's not okay. I haven't been to a dentist in like a decade, so somebody let me know if I need to, if I need to seek medical help for this. Um, but that's the, the so, so, you know, let that guide our conversation a little bit. I think that's a huge thing that's going to make a big difference for us if we can start to say, okay, well, I'm supporting lesser of two evils with my candidate, with my policies. So when they do something evil, I don't have to defend it. I don't have to say, well, here's why it was okay for, for her to do that now. Here's why it's okay for, for him to say that Jesus was wrong on that. Here's why it's okay for what? We don't have to do that, right? Let me pray, and then let's, uh, let's head out. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that it was spoken clearly. I pray that, that we can achieve what seems like it should be impossible. The Apostle Paul writes of a peace that passes understanding. God, and I think that that is exactly what you want for your church whenever it comes to issues like these. When it comes to this conversation, I believe that what you have for us is that we would be able to achieve peace even though we disagree. That we would be able to live life.
like family, even though we don't believe the same stuff, even though we don't vote for the same people, that we would actually, and maybe we're not there yet, but maybe we would actually get to the point where we could even talk about it. We could even say, oh, you voted for them? <laughs> I voted for the other one. Man, what an incredible thing that we get to share this thing together. God, I believe that's possible. I believe that peace that passes understanding is possible. I believe we can have conversations that don't just have to turn into arguments. I believe we can talk about some things and it doesn't just have to always be about who's going to win. I believe that we can make love our ultimate priority in this. With your help. We love you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name.